The Laws of Freemasonry My brother, every Master Mason is obliged to observe and obey the laws, resolutions, and edicts of the Grand Lodge and the bylaws of the particular lodge of which he is a member, and to maintain and support the landmarks and ancient usages and customs of the fraternity. It is impossible to obey any law if we do not know what it is. The laws of masonry, like the laws of nations, are both unwritten, common law, and the written law, based on the general regulations of the old charges is the constitution and regulations of our own Grand Lodge, its resolutions and edicts, and the bylaws of the particular lodge. The ancient landmarks are a part of the written law in some jurisdictions, and others they are a part of the unwritten law. A mason is subject to the law of the jurisdiction in which he sojourns as well as to those of his own jurisdiction. In this duality of allegiance, masonry follows the civil law. Thus, an American residing abroad is subject to the law of the nation in which he lives, but is also expected to obey the laws of his own nation. For instance, an American residing abroad is not exempt from the United States income tax laws. Neither is a Mason from North Carolina exempt from the laws of the Grand Lodge of this state merely because he happens to be traveling in Tennessee. The general regulations as set forth in Anderson's Constitution of 1723 were adopted shortly after the formation in 1717 of the first, or mother, Grand Lodge in England. The work was first published under the date of 1723 and unquestionably embodied the laws of masonry as they were known to the members of the four ancient bodies which formed the first Grand Lodge, and hence it has the respectability of an antiquity much greater than its printed life of nearly 300 years would indicate. In general, it may be said that the old charges are concerned with the individual brother and his relations to his lodge and his brethren, the general regulations with the conduct of the craft as a whole. The general regulations permit alteration by a grand lodge. The old charges do not. Law and masonry is very much more a matter of the heart than of the head. It is much more concerned with setting forth good conduct than with assessing penalties. Therefore, to comprehend it, we must be willing to revise our ideas of law as we understand law enacted by legislatures. A Masonic Lodge in North Carolina has only such powers as are conferred upon it by the laws of the Grand Lodge. It cannot do just anything its members may decide to do. There are definite limitations on its powers and authority set forth in the Constitution and laws of our Grand Lodge. You may study these at your leisure in the Code. 
Many civil laws are provided with measures of enforcement and penalties for infringement. Masonic law knows but three penalties for unmasonic conduct. Reprimand, definite suspension, and expulsion or Masonic death. These Masonic penalties for infraction of Masonic law may be ordered only after a Masonic trial and a verdict of guilty. The purpose of Masonic discipline is to maintain the respect and esteem to which the Masonic fraternity has been entitled from time immemorial. The reputation of the institution must be preserved unsullied, and this can be accomplished only by following the time-honored customs and usages which have safely carried us through the years and are to be found in the ritual, landmarks, customs, usages, unwritten law, and in the code. The Constitution of our Grand Lodge provides that the primary purpose of Masonic discipline is to preserve the good repute and integrity of the Masonic institution by the prosecution and punishment of a lodge or of a brother whose acts or omissions tend to injure the craft as a whole, or who has inflicted injury upon a brother Mason or any other person. The punishment of a member, if guilty, is for two purposes only. First, to protect the reputation of masonry that its character may remain unsullied, and to forestall unpunished crimes among its members for injuring the reputation of the organization as a whole. Second, to prevent the future violation of Masonic law by teaching others, through the impressive force of example. To punish a member merely as a satisfaction to the law partakes of the nature of private revenge or retaliation and is not worthy Masonic motive, since the protection of the good and the punishment of the bad are parts of the contract entered into by the order and each of its members for the vindication generally of the reputation of all Masons. Infractions of Masonic law resulting in trial and punishment are rare compared to the number of Masons, the vast majority of whom are willing and anxious to obey the laws. Therefore, enforcement is seldom required. Masonic law is not exactly the same in all jurisdictions. However, in all of the essentials, it is virtually the same. Most grand lodges in the United States adhere to the spirit of the old charges, and they adhere when modern conditions permit, to the sense of the general regulations. A mason who desires to understand the law by which the craft is governed and the legal standards by which the Grand Lodge measures its laws, resolutions, and edicts should read both the old charges and the general regulations of 1723. When he reaches the 39th and last of the general regulations, he will read, every annual Grand Lodge has an inherent power and authority to make new regulations or to alter these for the real benefit of this ancient fraternity, provided always that the old landmarks be carefully preserved.
The old or ancient landmarks are those foundations of the laws of masonry which are not subject to change. If the Grand Lodge, which first adopted these general regulations, had formulated the ancient landmarks, it would have saved much trouble and confusion for Grand Lodges that followed. Apparently, the unwritten law of masonry, the common law, was at that time so well understood and practiced that it was not thought necessary to codify it. There is still a great body of unwritten law which Masons customarily observe. These laws are called the ancient usages and customs, and are not specified in print now any more than they were then. Certain landmarks have been reduced to print and made a part of the written law in many jurisdictions. Mackey lists 25 landmarks which were adopted as official in many American Masonic jurisdictions. Others have condensed his list into a smaller number, still keeping all his points. A few jurisdictions have a greater number of landmarks, including some not specified in Mackey's list. Jurisdictions which do not include a printed list of the ancient landmarks and their written law usually follow and practice them as a part of their unwritten law. In a few instances, some of the landmarks as listed by Mackey are not recognized as such. For instance, Mackey's eighth landmark, the inherent right of a Grand Master to make Masons at sight, was specifically revoked by the Grand Lodge in North Carolina. In general, however, whether written or unwritten, Grand Lodges adhere to the spirit of Mackey's entire list. Mackey's explanation of these landmarks is too long to be discussed here, but his 25 definitions are the most universally used. The Grand Lodge of North Carolina has not adopted them in their entirety, but treats them as follows. These landmarks are included in the written laws in North Carolina. Landmark 2, the division of symbolic masonry in three degrees. Landmark 4, the government of the fraternity by a grand master. Landmark 5, the prerogative of the grand master to preside over every assembly of the craft. Landmark 7, the prerogative of the Grand Master to give dispensations for opening and holding lodges. Landmark 9, the necessity for Masons to congregate in lodges. Landmark 10, the government of the craft when congregated in a lodge by a master and two wardens. Landmark 11, the necessity that every lodge when congregated, should be duly tiled. Landmark 12, the right of every Mason to be represented in a, all general meetings of the craft. Landmark 13, the right of every Mason to appeal from his brethren and lodge convened to the Grand Master. Landmark 15, no visitor unknown to the brethren present or to one of them, 
as a mason can enter a lodge without first passing an examination according to ancient usage. Landmark 16. No lodge can interfere with the business of another lodge. Landmark 17. Every Freemason is amenable to the laws and regulations of the Masonic jurisdiction in which he resides. Landmark 18. A candidate for initiation must be a man, free-born, unmutilated, and of mature age. Landmark 19. A belief in the existence of God as the grand architect of the universe. Landmark 20. Belief in a resurrection to a future life. Landmark 21. A book of the law constitutes an indispensable part of the furniture of every lodge. Landmark 22. The equality of all Masons. These landmarks are included in the unwritten laws of North Carolina. Landmark 1. The modes of recognition. Landmark 3. The legend of the third degree. Landmark 11. The necessity that every lodge, when congregated, should be duly tiled. Landmark 15. No visitor unknown to the brethren present or to one of them as a mason can enter a lodge without first passing an examination according to ancient usage. Landmark 19. A belief in the existence of God as the grand architecture of the universe. Landmark 20. Belief in a resurrection to a future life. Landmark 21. A book of the law constitutes an indispensable part of the furniture of every lodge. Landmark 22, the equality of all Masons. Landmark 23, the secrecy of the institution. Landmark 24, the foundation of a speculative science upon an operative art. These landmarks are not admitted as landmarks in North Carolina. Landmark 6, the prerogative of the Grand Master to grant dispensations for conferring degrees at irregular intervals. Landmark 8. The prerogative of the Grand Master to make Masons at sight. Landmark 25. The landmarks can never be changed. This specific landmark is not recognized as an unlimited right in North Carolina. Landmark 14 the right of every Mason to visit and sit in every regular lodge. With landmarks as a foundation, the old charges for precedent and the first general regulations for organic law, Grand Lodges write and adopt their constitutions, regulations, and bylaws, and particular lodges write and adopt their bylaws which are subject to approval by the Grand Lodge Committee on Bylaws. When the Grand Lodge is not in session, the Grand Master formulates and issues edicts and makes decisions. Often these are later incorporated by the Grand Lodge into the written law of the jurisdiction. All of these together, except where they conflict, as some of the earlier general regulations necessarily conflict 
with later enactments made to supersede them, form the legal structure of Freemasonry. Masonic law in general is not as rigid as the body of law for the government of a state or a nation. If Masonic law were interpreted wholly by the letter, as is necessarily the case in civil law, the government of the craft might often be as loose as its statutes. But, as a matter of fact, the craft is well governed. Its ancient usages and customs soon win their way into the hearts of new brethren, and there is a great resistance to any attempt to change the old order unless necessity shows that change is absolutely necessary. The fraternity in this state and in our nation deals with very large sums of money. The craft erects and maintains expensive temples, orphanages, and homes for helpless masons and their dependents. The institution disperses a large amount for charity. The vast majority of its executive officers serve long and arduous apprenticeships, giving their services for love, not money. These very practical matters are all conducted in accord with a more or less loosely woven body of law, and yet the fraternity as a whole can take pride in the undoubted fact that it is orderly, well-governed, almost completely law-abiding, and very reluctant to make any more new laws for itself than are absolutely necessary. The reason may be found in the answer to the classic question, where were you first prepared to be made a mason?